Our lesson of the day is Psalm 12. This is for the choir master on the eight string, a psalm by David. Save, Lord, for the covenant beloved is no more. For the faithful ones have vanished from among the sons of Adam. Emptiness they speak to one another. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great boasts. Those that say, with our tongue we will prevail. We own our lips. Who is master over us? Because of the plundering of the weak, because of the groaning of the needy, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will provide as salvation a witness for him. The sayings of the Lord are pure sayings, like silver purified in an earthen furnace, refined seven times. You, Lord, will guard them. You will preserve us from this generation forever. The wicked strut about on every side when wickedness is exalted among the sons of Adam. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that pierces into the lies and confusion all around us and the lies and deceptions of our own heart that reveals your truth to us, your liberating, life-giving truth and the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Help us to receive your word in humility, with faith and thanksgiving, to cling to your word and to find life and hope in it. We pray this. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Please be seated. You don't need me or anyone else to tell you that we live in a culture dominated by lies. We are virtually surrounded by spin, deception, fine print, fake news, and just plain willful ignorance. There is so much corruption and deceit in our public life that we just roll our eyes at it. We even joke about it. I could probably rattle off a long list of jokes about politicians and used car salesmen and lawyers and whoever else, you know, uh, and you would probably know them all because it's just commonplace. I'll spare you the, the corny uh, stand-up routine this morning. It's so commonplace uh, that we can joke about it. And as we Alabamians uh, know from our own uh, politics, sometimes you have to joke about it to laugh, to keep from crying. Because it's so sad, it's tragic to see all the corruption and deceit in, in our government and our uh, elected leaders in our broader society. It's become commonplace to assume that a salesman is trying to rip you off. It's commonplace to assume, just just assume that a politician is corrupt. And it's nowadays, uh, more so maybe now than ever, it's commonplace to assume that media outlets uh, are passing off propaganda as news. You know it's bad when pollsters are spending their time, spending their time trying to figure out who Americans trust the least. And the two options 
vying for the top spot are the White House and the news media. You know it's bad when you can't even find out the real answer to that question because there are several polls that give several different answers to the question. But we don't need pollsters and pundits to help us diagnose a problem that's really as old as dirt. Psalm 12, which was written about 3,000 years ago, shows us a scenario that looks strikingly similar to what we see in our own day. The psalmist, King David, describes a society in which everyone speaks emptiness. How exactly, though, do you speak emptiness? Is that like discovering that something is missing? Think about that one. How do you speak emptiness? That sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? How do you go about doing that? Well, there are some people who are experts at speaking emptiness, speaking words that are hollow. Speaking emptiness is talking for the sake of talking. There's no point. There's no substance. Using buzzwords and cliches that mean nothing, really. Speaking emptiness is false promises. It's fake apologies. It's saying one thing while meaning something totally different. Speaking emptiness, David tells us in verse 2, is a product of flattering lips and a double heart. The word flattery in Hebrew literally means smooth. It's smooth talk. Words that are so polished and slippery that you can't hold on to them. They don't mean anything. They slip right through your fingers. They don't land on anything. They don't stick to anything. Flattery, smooth talk is speech that is shiny and attractive, but it's filled with deceit. Smooth talk is speech that manipulates and seduces. It's speech that's intentionally vague and obscure. And David tells us that this sort of doublespeak always flows out of a double heart. A double heart is when you lack integrity. There's no wholeness of self. There's duplicity down to your fundamental being. A person with a double heart will take will say whatever it takes to get what he wants. And then uh, at the end of the psalm, David uh, describes how the situation is so bad that worthlessness and vileness is exalted. That the wicked are able to strut about, proud of their arrogance, proud of their lies and their deception, because worthlessness is actually exalted in the culture. It's bad enough for people to be speaking emptiness and flattery. It's bad enough for lying to be tolerated and excused. But the situation is desperate when worthlessness is exalted and even celebrated. The Greek storyteller Aesop, who lived in the 6th century B.C., put it this way. We hang the petty thieves and appoint the great ones to public office. The 6th century B.C. There is nothing new under the sun. Worthlessness is exalted. That's a desperate 
situation. Now, it would be easy for us to read a passage like this and simply shake our heads at our wicked and lying society. Mm-mm-mm. Just the same, it's very easy for Christians to moan and groan and point the finger at all those flatterers and deceivers out there. But Psalm 12 won't let us get away with that kind of attitude. Here, as in many other places, God's Word shows us that the cause of virtually any problem in society can be traced right back to God's people. It's less painful to say that Christians are being led astray by a godless culture, but in reality, it's the other way around usually. In reality, godless culture is almost always a result of unfaithfulness in the church. And that's exactly where David begins this psalm. Before he laments the lying and the deceit in society, before he laments the way that worthlessness is exalted and the vile, the the wicked strut around out there, he begins by saying, save Lord for the the covenant beloved, the godly one is no more for the faithful ones have vanished from among the sons of men. That's the root of the problem. In David's day, and I would submit to you in our own, any society inundated with lies and deception is that way largely because God's people have abandoned God's truth. And this happens in all sorts of ways, some subtle and some not so subtle. God's truth is undermined when Christians put on a good show at church while being unfaithful in their life and work. Hypocrisy, after all, comes from the Greek word to put on a performance, to act the part. God's people contribute to the problem of insincerity and deception in society by talking about God's love while ostracizing those who need it most. By using pious talk to win power and financial gain. The world sees right through that. When the church jettisons biblical teaching that has become unpopular, when the church is filled with false teachers and false prophets who preach a gospel that is self-serving, that's really no gospel at all, when the church has a double standard for sins out there in the world and overlooks and condones so many sins in the church, all of this is undermining truth and honesty and sincerity in society. If God's people can't speak the truth, if God's people are dishonest and deceptive and duplicitous, why should we expect or be surprised that the world would be any different? But this shouldn't surprise us. We shouldn't be surprised that the church's abandonment of God's word wreaks havoc in the wider world. After all, it was in paradise. Paradise, God's own earthly sanctuary, that his words, his truth first came under attack. A war of words has been raging ever since Satan, the serpent of old, the deceiver, the father of lies, 
twisted God's word and flatly contradicted it. Did God really say? As Scripture makes clear, the stakes in that conflict, at that moment, that questioning of God's truth, the stakes were not small. In fact, they couldn't have been higher. By challenging God's Word, Satan challenged everything about God. His character and His nature. His faithfulness and His love. His justice and His goodness. Satan's seductive and deceptive speech was intended to throw everything into confusion by raising questions like, Does God really love you? Does God actually keep His promises? Is He able to make good on His Word? Is God really in control? And most importantly of all, can God really be trusted? As the author Victor Hugo put it, to lie a little is not possible. He who lies, lies the whole lie. And unfortunately, Adam and Eve bought the whole lie. Hook, line, and sinker. They found out the hard way that even small lies, even small distortions of the truth have disastrous consequences. They are no truth at all. Their sin, the sin of rejecting God and His Word and embracing, accepting the the false word, the false promises of Satan plunged the whole world into alienation, bondage, and decay. And here in Psalm 12, we get just a glimpse of the damage that lies can cause in a society. Lying may start small, but it never stays small. Lying and deceit can destroy a person's entire life. Lying and deceit can corrode every aspect of a society. Because lying destroys relationships. It undermines the foundation of trust between people. Lying brings incalculable damage to other people. All it takes is one false witness against you in court to to send you away Uh, to, To end your life, essentially. All it takes is one slanderous attack to completely tarnish someone's reputation beyond repair. Deceptive speech is so damaging because it is ultimately rebellion against God. And verse 4 captures this. The wicked are quoted as saying, With our tongue we will prevail. We own our lips. Who is Lord over us? Those who use false speech do so because they don't want to play by God's rules. They refuse to answer to anyone. They want to get their own way and fulfill their own desires. And they will trample on anyone that stands in their way. And verse 5 reminds us that it is the weak, the vulnerable, and the needy who are most affected by deceitful speech. This this psalm, like many other passages of Scripture, shows us that words are incredibly powerful. 
Words are often in Scripture likened to weapons. Psalm 12, if you noticed, says nothing about physical violence. There is nothing here about murder or bodily injury. There is a battle going on in Psalm 12, and the weapons are all words. Proverbs 18.21, which we heard earlier, puts it succinctly. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. James 3 tells us that the tongue can stain the whole body and basically incinerate an entire life. And this raises a very important question. How are we to respond when deception and flattery run rampant? How can the destructive power of lying words be counteracted? When we are surrounded by false speech, false accusations, and arrogant boasting, we, like David, should call on God to intervene. David uh, notices what's going on in his society, and he calls on God to intervene, to, to silence the flattery and the arrogant boasting of the wicked. And notice God's response. What is God's response to David's plea for salvation, for deliverance from these lies? God responds with more words, but not just any words. This is not a case of fighting fire with fire. This God responds with pure words. The only antidote to corrupt speech is pure speech. The only weapon against lies is truth. The only answer to false words is God's word. Verse 6 says, The Lord's sayings are pure sayings, like silver purified in an earthen furnace, refined seven times. God's word isn't in need of purification. That's not what... David is suggesting here. David knows that God's word is already pure because it comes from a pure source. God is the essence of holiness and purity. There is no falsehood or deception in him. In 2 Timothy 3, the Apostle Paul assures us that God's word is without flaw or defect of any source of any sort. It's completely reliable, completely trustworthy precisely because it comes from God. It is breathed out by God. It's important to notice that when God responds with his word, with his pure words, that his words are pure and they purify. The word of God is refined and it refines. God's truth is the only solvent able to remove the stain of lies and deception. Psalm 19, uh, another psalm of David, beautifully describes the power and the purity of God's word, the purifying effect of God's word. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. 
The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. God's words are powerful. They are pure and they are purifying. They are perfectly pure and they purify perfectly. God's word exposes and refutes the lies that are all around us. They are liberating. As Jesus himself said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. A friend of mine recently told me about his elderly relative who had just recently had cataract surgery and was very upset to find out just how old she looked when her cataracts were removed. Now, maybe in that case, ignorance is bliss. But in any other case, ignorance is not bliss. Lies are enslaving and truth is liberating. So there's one reason not to have cataract surgery. Lies are incredibly powerful precisely because they have the power to imprison us while making us believe that we are actually free. Some lies promise liberty, but they actually enslave. Lies like, you can be your own God. You can call your own shots. Go ahead. You deserve to indulge yourself. Follow your heart and you'll never go wrong. That's a recipe for bondage and misery. On the other hand, there are lies that lead us to despair and hopelessness that are passed off as good news. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, They're packaged in a way that's shiny and enticing. Lies like, you are nothing but the result of time plus chance plus matter. Hallelujah. Doesn't that make you feel good about yourself? Your life has only the meaning and purpose that you give to it. What? That's not good news. You are a slave to your impulses and desires. You just can't help yourself. This is good news to many people in our culture. Your worth is determined by what other people think about you or about uh, how you think about yourself. The truth of God brings life and freedom because it exposes deception and it shows us the way things really are. This process of facing the truth can be very painful, like having cataract surgery and finding out how you really look. But the pain of facing the truth pales in comparison to the pain of living in lies. And because we live in a culture of flattery and because our hearts so often deceive us, we desperately need the unchanging truth of God's word to expose falsehood and to liberate us from the bondage of lies. David understood the liberating power of God's word. And so when he was surrounded by lies, he called out for God to intervene. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips the tongue that speaks 
great boasts. And in response to David's prayer for help, God promises to arise and bring salvation in the form of words. Because of the plundering of the weak, because of the groaning of the needy, I will now arise. How does God arise? How does God come to the rescue of the poor and the needy? Quite often, God's salvation comes in the form of His Word. And that's what He promises at the end of verse 5. I will provide as salvation a witness for Him. When smooth talkers boast of their power and trample the weak underfoot, God's Word comes to expose their lies and to confirm His truth. To expose them as frauds. When God's truth is twisted and openly mocked, God arises to set the record straight. In the Old Testament, God most often sent His Word through a prophet But ultimately, of course, the Lord rescues the weak and oppressed by sending the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the faithful witness who brings salvation. After all, the word for salvation here in Psalm 12 is the root of the name Jesus. And when the angel comes to Joseph and explains to him that he should go ahead and marry Mary uh, and take her as his wife, even though she's already uh, to be uh, found to be with child, the angel says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is God's saving word. He is God's truth in the flesh. The Gospel of John, if you're looking for uh, a classic uh, exposition of this theme, the Gospel of John draws attention to this theme more than almost any other book of the New Testament. John tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word of God who makes known the Father. He is the exact expression of the Father. He reveals the Father. He became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is God's truth in human form. He is the perfect Word of God, pure and purifying. He is the one who reveals the Father so that we might know God And trust in Him. He is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Jesus speaks God's Word, which are words of life. And Jesus testifies to the truth. If you remember Jesus standing before Pilate, Pilate, uh, He says, I have come to testify to the truth. But here's the bitter irony. Here's, Here's the tragic irony. Uh, irony. Jesus, the greater Son of David, the living Word of God, fulfilled Psalm 12 when He was brought down by lying and deceitful men. In the greatest miscarriage of justice in world history, the sinless Son of God was convicted on false charges by a phony court. The godly were no more. The faithful had vanished. And the arrogant men twisted God's word in order to put God to death. The word became flesh. The word of God arose 
and was killed with lies. But the father saw the oppression and the suffering of his beloved son and vindicated him by raising him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus was his justification by the father. He is who he says he is. He is, Romans says, declared to be the son of God in power. The father refuted the false charges against Jesus and declared him to be nothing other than the son of God, the word made flesh, truth incarnate. And because Jesus bore witness to the father in his life and in his death, the father bore witness to Jesus by raising him from the dead. And so when John sees the glorified and ascended Jesus in the book of Revelation, he calls him the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the rulers of the kings of the earth. Now, if you're upset by all the lying, the flattery, the deception and corruption in our society, there are two very simple steps that you need to take. The first is to stop complaining. Let's face it, we complain a whole lot about things that we can't change and things that we should be praying about not complaining about. So we need to stop complaining. We need to stop our moaning and groaning. We need to take a cue from King David. And we need to pray Psalm 12. Start praying Psalm 12. Or keep praying Psalm 12, as the case may be. The Psalms are not just an opportunity to vent our anger. The Psalms... Call on God to act. After all, He's the only one who can really do anything about many of the, of the sins that are surrounding us in our culture. So pray Psalm 12. Pray for God to arise. For God to send forth His Word. For God to purify His church. For God to purge His church of heresy and false teachers. For the Word of God to be preached in all its truth and all its fullness and all its power and to dispel the lies in the culture around us and in, and in our own lives. But maybe this morning you find that you yourself are trapped in your own lies. The only way out is to come to come clean. 100% honesty with God, with yourself and with anyone else that you've been deceiving. That's the only way out of lies. There is no other way out. This is what the Bible calls confession. To agree with God that you are a sinner, to agree with God's assessment about you. The truth is that God already knows everything you're trying to hide. Confession, though, is how you acknowledge God's truth and humbly submit to His Lordship. Confession is the doorway to forgiveness. It's the doorway to freedom and liberty. It's only after we've confessed our sins that we are in a position to receive God's forgiveness and His cleansing. Remember, God's Word is pure and it purifies. It convicts us, but it also cleanses us. Remember 1 John chapter 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves 
and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God doesn't just say, okay, yeah, I'll overlook it this time, but let's not let that happen again. God's Word cleanses us of our sin. You can be free from your sin. And confession is the first step in that process. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That is the good news of the Gospel. That Jesus is the faithful witness. He is the one who has revealed the Father to us. He is the one who brings God's life to us. He alone has the words of life. And He he gladly grants that life to all who will hear His words and believe in Him. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your life-giving Word that liberates us, that sets us free from the lies and deceptions all around us and the lies of our own heart. We thank You that Your Word is trustworthy and true, that it is unchanging, that it is always right. And we thank You that Your Word cleanses us. Help us to receive this Word in faith and humility. And help us to be diligent in living honestly and humbly before You. We ask this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.